So one of the things that um, I did overlook, I want to go back in, in the order there a little bit. Uh, you may say, well, what is really an elder beyond your perspective, Tyson? There's two main words that come up for elder. One is overseer. You see that in scripture we were going to cover today. But all throughout scripture, elders are, are known to be overseers of the church. And they constantly watch over us theologically, spiritually, physically, uh, financially. And uh, they have this opportunity and responsibility to, to watch over the church and to spiritually uh, guide the church. Another word that describes an elder is a shepherd. And that's going to be our really focus for today. This is probably the most beautiful way to look at an elder. It is as we follow the chief shepherd Jesus that they are shepherds underneath him to take care of the flock, to make sure they're uh, spiritually fed, to make sure they're spiritually protected. And I pray that you see that within them. As you see the elders at church or maybe out in the community, let them know you're praying for them. And when you have a prayer need, one of the, my greatest desires is you would go directly to them and, and ask them to be praying for you. And if you want the rest of them to know, uh, let, let them know that they can share that with the rest of them. But we are under Christ's care through them. And I praise God for that. I want to welcome you again to FCC. Uh, uh, if you don't know this, we're focused on Jesus. That, that's the theme for the year. It should be no surprise that we're focused on him, and we're allowing Quest 52 to help guide some of the questions we've been asking, and it's been a challenge already. It's been also rewarding. If you haven't picked up a book, Quest 52, you can pick one of those up in the foyer. Uh, get one for a friend as well. Each, each 52 weeks of this year, there's a question that we dive into God's Word to find out as we focus on Jesus. Week number one, Ben Harris did a great job leading us through this first question. It was this, is God Jesus? Oftentimes we ask this question, is Jesus God? But here's what is really interesting. When we ask this question, is God Jesus? And the answer is yes. When we focus on Jesus, which we see so much about him in the word, we see him walking in the flesh, then when we focus on Jesus, we see a picture of the living God, the perfect image of God. And Ben did a great job explaining that to us. So the next week we focus on this question, is life random? Sometimes it seems pretty random. And we examined the lineage, the family tree of Jesus, all the way back to Abraham. And we, we saw and reminded Scripture that our lives are anything but random. And God is always working a plan for us to be restored to relationship with him. Even in the midst of a family tree where there's a mess, where there's sin, God is continually, non in random ways, working miracles for relationships. Last week we asked this question, can God use me for big things? Can he use you for big things? And we, we got right to the point that we realized nothing is impossible with God. I want you to know if you're here today and you're, you're thinking, well, I'm not an elder. I, I, I haven't been to Bible college. I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, you're the exact person God loves to use for big things because when he uses any of us, especially someone maybe been on the outside for a while and he does big things, it's to his glory, not our own. No matter who you are, God can use you for big things. But today we come to the question that may be the most controversial so far. Some of you are going to have pretty intense opinions about this right from the beginning. So I encourage you to, to read the book this week, but also dive into God's word with me as we answer this question, does God play favorites? Some of you have strong opinions uh, one way or the other, and I have found this question is more complicated than first meets the eye. We have to pump the brakes for a minute and know when, when God's word said something, we have to let the word win. And we know this from Romans chapter 2. It speaks directly about favoritism, and it says this in Romans 2. 
God does not show favoritism. Well, there's your answer, right? In the context here, he's talking about a systematic favoritism. He's talking about when we look at someone based on their gender, uh, maybe their uh, political position, maybe their uh, amount of money they have or which family they're from, and we automatically disqualify them or bless them because of a systematic bias, that is sinful favoritism. And the Word of God is clear. God does not do that. He shows no systematic favoritism, not based on your color of your skin, or whether you're male or female, or Jew or Greek. God does not favor us based on who we are, where we came from. Romans 2 establishes that. And, Roman, uh, and James 2 declares this, there's no place for favoritism in the church. There's no place uh, looking at someone because they're from the wrong side of the tracks or, or maybe uh, they cheer for this sports team or maybe they, they grew up within the church or their family has money or their family doesn't. There's no place for favoritism based on that in the church. And James chapter 2 explains that. But the question still stands. Does God play favorites? That's the question the book rises. The question, though, is not focused on some sinful, unfair favoritism based on an idea or bias. It is unpacking this question at times. Think about it this way. Does God favor certain faithful people over others? Is there a time and a place where God says, I'm going to favor you in a special way because of your faithfulness, because I'm going to do a mighty work in you? That's the question. Most of us have seen at times favors granted to certain people. Maybe you've seen even favorites being played, maybe among friends. Sometimes that's hard. Among coaches. Maybe it's your boss or even your parents. Oh, I want to get a little uh, participation here. How many of you have the guts to say, yeah, I was mom and dad's favorite? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Be careful, your brother's watching, right? How many of you are on the flip side of that? Like, I know I was not mom and dad's favorite. I need to watch my own boys in this service. Like, what? Honestly, uh, family favoritism has not been a huge deal in my life. Except for this one detail growing up in the Graber family tree. See, the Graber family tree was relatively large. If you hear a couple weeks ago, I explained that underneath my grandma Rose and my grandpa Pete, uh, their family exploded. There were, there were, they had 15 of their own children. And by the time I came around, the youngest uh, of, of the boys, Gordon Graber, had me. Uh, the family was well-developed. And you could see family favorites were alive within the Graber family. Now, with all that family explosion, by the time my grandma and grandpa passed away, they had well over 100 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, or great-great-grandchildren. So I'm going to give my grandma and grandpa a little bit of break here. By the time I came around, you knew you were a favorite if grandma and grandpa just knew your name. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not making this up. Like, for years, I would go to my grandma and grandpa's house. I lived across the field from them. We built on the, the family farm. And I'd come into the house with my brother, and my grandma Rose would yell to Grandpa Pete. She would say, Grandpa, Gordon's boys are here. Now think about that. That's what I was known as, Gordon's boys. Whether there was one or two of us, Gordon's boy was there. You, you could see it. You, you could sense there was a sense of favoritism. But if some of my older cousins would come over who had kind of been a part of the family longer, they would know their names. Talk about favoritism, right? You felt it before, maybe in your own family. 
This really uh, pinnacally showed itself one day. My brother and I were at cross-country practice. We both read cross-country in junior high. They started early. I was a sixth grader. My brother was a fourth grader, and we had cross-country practice. We were supposed to be picked up after practice over, but dad uh, kind of went to emergency uh, situation, went to the hospital with a bulged disc, and he was admitted to the hospital. Mom was with him. So this may blow your mind, but my Amish grandmother came to pick me up from school in her 1983-88 Oldsmobile. Now, here's how this happened. They converted from old order Amish with horse and buggies to a new Zion Amish, which allowed them to have a car, but it had to be one color. Uh, They could have electricity, but no television. They still had great limitations in their life, but she could drive. And I only remember driving with her once this day she picked us up from school. So she's driving up to school. Uh, she knows to pick us uh, up in front of the school. Um, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we just hear somebody laying on the horn. Like, she doesn't get out of the car. She just starts honking. Uh, uh, uh. And so then one of the coaches run out. I didn't really pay attention to what was going on. And she, he goes, can I help you? And my grandma just simply says, I'm here to pick up Gordon's boys. <laughs> and this young coach is like, who are Gordon's boys? And she goes, I don't know. I'm just here to get Gordon's boys. And so he goes back into school, and he goes, there's someone out in the parking lot honking her horn, and she is looking for Gordon's boys. I was like, that's me. That's, that's, that's my brother and I. So we go back up in the car. But I grew up with that type of felt being ignored and others being favored. Maybe you've, maybe you've felt that. At times, favoritism creeps into families. But we never see it in the church, do we? I mean, you would never have anything acknowledged as someone showing favoritism with the church, but let's be honest, we all have favorites. We have favorite songs. We have favorite places to set in the sanctuary. You may have a favorite friend here. Uh, Some of you have favorite Sunday school teachers or, or favorite memories from your childhood. And we have to admit, at times, we'll even have favorite preachers. I know I've got a few in my life, uh, people that I really enjoyed hearing God's word from. And last week, I shared with you that I had some insecurity the first time I became your preacher. After following a tremendous uh, pastor, man of God, Daryl Boland, after years of service, I was a little bit intimidated to become your preacher. And and then to boot, the elders had these legends of our faith come the four weeks prior to me offering my first sermon, and they gave their very best sermon of the time. And then here I was, but, but I shared some of that, that that day I gave it to God and put it in his hands. And I committed to preach that no matter who the preacher was here, that Jesus Christ is our leader and Lord. Amen? And so I walked off the stage. I'm like, man, focused on Jesus. That may sound familiar. We're going to do that moving forward. And I felt good about that. I walked to the back of the, the, the sanctuary into the foyer and was encouraged. A number of people came up to me and said, hey, thank you for sharing today. Great message. Then I met this older woman, nice lady. She kind of pulled me to the side of the foyer, kind of pulled me back into the corner there. And she was with a group of her lady friends. You know, they were these like, I don't, I don't know if they were a special committee and they just didn't tell me, but there they were. And she grabbed my hand and says, young man, you did a great job today. She says, but we want you to know our favorite preacher is always going to be Daryl Bolin. And then she squeezed my cheek and she says, but boy, we think you're cute. <laughs> True story. I still don't recall who that was. That was like a a memory that I, you know, I've just put in the back of my mind. I, I don't, didn't recall who that was, but there's favoritism at times. As humans, it's hard to deny the reality of favoritism. 
But here's the question. Does God play favorites? What do you think? While we know he does it sinfully, God has no sin in him. While he knows he doesn't have bias, automatic favoritism, does God at times favor certain faithful people to work for his glory? And the answer is yes. God plays favorites at times. And some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I knew I couldn't trust God. If he's going to play favorites, he can't, he can't be something I trust in because you, you've been hurt by that in the past. Others of you are thinking, whoa. The Word of God says that he doesn't show favoritism, and that's right, not based on bias. But throughout history, you can see God giving favor to certain people that he blesses for his glory. Last week, we saw it in the text from Luke, the very beginning of the gospel story. The angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. And ironically, this was a, a woman who, who really uh, did not have much going for at this point in life, and, and yet God says, I'm going to favor you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at other characters in the Christmas story and see if God doesn't favor them. And I really want to see who, who he does favor and who he doesn't. In Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we see the next character. He's a big one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus is a big deal. If you know much about Roman culture, Roman empire, he, he was maybe one of the greatest Roman leaders of all time. Uh, his uncle was named Julius Caesar. Remember him? And in 49 BC, before Christ, Julius Caesar announced to the world that he was going to be dictator until he died. But then the political powers that be at the time said, oh, that's too long. And then five years later, in 44 BC, 60 of the senators of the Roman government uh, plotted against Julius Caesar, and they chose to overthrow him to the point they murdered him to get him out. His nephew was then given the name from Julius, and he became the next emperor known as Caesar Augustus. You probably heard of Caesar Augustus from Luke chapter 2. Uh, that, that's how that happened. And Caesar Augustus had a friend named Mark Antony. And they decided to avenge the death of the, their uncle and to kill every senator, every person that went against their uncle. And they did it. They, they massacred all those leaders. And then he was put in place with great power. And he was very successful. During Caesar Augustus' reign, he had power and popularity. The Roman Empire territory doubled in size under his reign. The month of August literally was named after him based on his great popularity. And forever after that point, salads had a proper dressing, okay? Ugh, that's a rough one. But here's, here's, here's the, the truth. During that time, he was known as the Prince of Peace, in all honesty. He was known as the King of Kings. And on his coins with his image, it was saying that he was the Son of God. What a dangerous place to be, full of pride. And, and from our perspective, and from their perspective at the time, surely God was going to be favoring this man. Well, he had all this power, he had all this prestige. But God didn't really favor him, as far as we could tell. There were other kings during that time as well. They're in the story. One's name was King Herod. He would have been more like a governor in today's culture, but Caesar would have appointed different kings for different regions, and King Herod was appointed over the area Jesus was born. 
You remember, he was known as Herod the Great. He built amazing port cities. He built uh, an amazing palace. He was a, a great military mind. He, he was brilliant, but also just a little crazy. And the first thing he did after becoming king of that region, he invited all of his father's allies, all of his father's warriors, all of his father's uh, councilmen, and he brought them into his palace to throw this big party to kind of show off a little bit. And then at the end of the night, you know what he did to all those men that were connected to his father? He had him murdered on the spot to protect his power. And while we may think King Herod was greatly favored, we're going to see in this story that maybe he wasn't by God. His radical behavior led him to even kill others. We know that he at some point killed some of his wives and his own sons. But then when the wise men came to town and said, hey, we, we believe the king of the Jews have been born. He says, oh, let me come and worship it. Uh, lead me to the king. And it was all a ploy so that he could get his hands on this new king to kill him. And, and when he knew he was tricked, look what the text says in Matthew 2, 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. Why, why was everyone disturbed? Because they knew that this man was willing to do anything to keep his power, to stay in his prideful position. We know later that he sent out orders to execute every baby boy two years or under around Bethlehem. Talk about pride causing so much pain. Talking about a position that, that truly was blessed in the world's eyes, but, but was totally against what God wanted. King Herod was not what God was looking for in a king. Here's two other characters you know well, Mary and Joseph. And they're totally different than Caesar and King Herod. At best, Joseph would have worked hard just to survive. Historians believe that most uh, people under the Roman Empire at the time gave 70 to 80% of their income just to pay their taxes. Joseph would have worked hard to survive while, while the kings were living lavishly. It, it looked like the kings were blessed, but guess who God was about ready to favor? These poor people, this poor couple, Mary and Joseph, God did not favor the king, but he favored them and gave them the blessings of Jesus. But why would he do that when they were so poor? Why would God favor someone who didn't even have money to do what was proper in today's world? You may say, well, what are you talking about, Tyson? Uh, based on the law of Leviticus, God's law of the Old Testament, if you'd had a child... After a certain amount of days, you would take that child with you and give a sacrifice to the priest, and he would sacrifice on your behalf, the mom's behalf and the child's behalf, so they would become ceremonially clean. After a birth, uh, the mother was seen as unclean, and you made the sacrifice often a lamb. The Leviticus law said that you would offer a lamb, but if you didn't have enough money, you could offer two birds also for that sacrifice. Look what it says in Luke 2, what Mary and Joseph did. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, so this is the Old Testament law, Joseph and Mary took him, which is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord. Look what they gave, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. They didn't even have enough money for a lamb, and yet they were being faithful to God, and they offered two birds. This screams of the fact they were ex exactly opposite of King Herod and, and, this, and Caesar at the time. They couldn't afford a proper sacrifice. It seemed like they were anything but favored, and yet what did God do? He favored them by giving them Jesus. The next characters, the last characters we want to look at were the shepherds. Look what it says in the text in Luke 2. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
were they going to be favored? The shepherds would have been the last people the world thought would be favored by God. Uh, Shepherds at this time, especially if you were a good Jew, were seen as unclean, not only because they were physically dirty because they were working with animals, but spiritually they were dirty as well because they were working with animals. And this is ironic. While these shepherds raised the lambs to be brought to the temple to be sacrificed, they couldn't even go into the temple with the lambs because they were dirty. They were outcast spiritually. They were outcast socially. And these shepherds that were there the night of Jesus was born, they would have been the worst of the worst. It was very likely that the the guys on the night watch didn't even own these sheep. They were just hired hands to these shepherds who owned the sheep. What an amazing thing. But does God play favorites to men like this, to families that are so low? The amazing truth is that he shows favor to those he desires to. We know what he said to Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1 again. Greetings, you who are highly favored. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Greetings, you who are highly favored. And he's talking to Mary. I want you to know if you're hearing this today and you've been saved by Jesus, you have been highly favored. Greetings to all of you who are highly favored through Christ. What a surprise that he would favor Mary. Look what, he, look what the angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I can't help but imagine when the shepherds were out in the fields watching over the sheep and the angel appeared and they said, greetings to you. To you, a savior has been born. They're like, who's around? Is is Caesar behind us? Is is King Herod coming to town? Uh, But I, I don't want you to miss this. The first announcement, a blessing about Jesus was to these lowly shepherds, to, to people like you and I. The world often overlooks. The, the world often deems as poor and maybe unnecessary. That's who Jesus came to first. In this Christmas story, we see God favoring people like the shepherds and Mary who said, I am your servant because of one key ingredient. Here's what I believe it is. Here's the main point of the day. That God favors those who have a humble heart before him. God doesn't favor those who have a sense of entitlement or superiority. So if you come here today, and by golly, I've been an elder. Uh, I wasn't ordained today, but I've been an elder five different terms over the course of 50 years. I've got it figured out. That is not the heart that God desires. He doesn't uh, uh, favor those who have worked so hard and earned millions of dollars. That is likely who he doesn't favor. He favors those with the humility of a servant and a shepherd. See, humility opens our lives to God's highest favor. So this is your question today. Is my heart humble or is it proud? Is my my heart willing to lead me to my knees? Or is my heart lead me to stand strong, to show off. Humility opens our lives to God's highest favors. It's scriptural. Uh, Your heart may be screaming this right now, and if it is, I, I love this. In James chapter four, it says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Uh, make sure that you're regularly on your knees submitting to him before you, and in, in, in just the right time, he's gonna lift you up. I wonder what your heart looks like. What, what's it clothed with? What's it surrounded with? Uh, Paul is talking to a church much like ours in in Colossae, and here's what he writes. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, if you've accepted Christ, you have been favored. So what do you clothe your heart with? Look what he says. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. that's, That's a love for others. With kindness, with humility, 
with gentleness and patience. Notice that the center ingredient there is humility, uh, not, not being proud. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God favors and wants us to clothe the, the humble, those who love others. God favors those who are willing to serve, those who are willing to care for others, those who are willing to forgive, those who are willing to meet the needs of others. It, it gives me uh, the image of a shepherd. And that's kind of the theme character for the day. While shepherds throughout history have been disrespected and underappreciated, they give us a beautiful image of what God honors. I wonder if you look like a shepherd. In Psalms 23, probably the most famous verse of the Old Testament, David writes, the king, he, he's the king, he's kind of like King Herod, he's kind of like the emperor of the time, uh, the greatest king of, of God's people, he says, He's praising God for being a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He says, in my position as king, I look to the shepherd and and my wants, my desires fall to the ground because he's going to sustain me. When Jesus lived, he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus explained it, he lived it, and he died on behalf of it. I want you to know this, Jesus died for you. Here's a message for all of you today. If I were an angel-like being, and that's what an angel does, a messenger, Jesus has come to give you favor to save you, period. You who are highly favored, who have the hope of eternal life through Jesus, have you answered his call? Have you submitted to his care? It's a question for you today. It's very likely there's at least someone here today who has kind of been trying to figure it out on their own. It's like, well, uh, I like what Jesus offers, but, but he's not my savior. The only way uh, to have eternal life is through what he's done for us on the cross. And we must submit to that and say, Lord, I submit to your authority to be my savior and my Lord. Have you done that? To those of you who have already done that, there's also a wake-up call in this text that we can't become proud like King Herod or, or the emperor. We must continue to, to be humble. I want to spur, first speak to the elders. It's not always the easiest thing to do to your bosses, but based on the word of God, you've got to be careful, elders, that we not become like King Herod or, or Julius Caesar where we think we've got it all figured out. And this is based on our efforts, our wisdom. We come under uh, continually the chief shepherd. And and look what the word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 5, where he speaks about this need for humility. And you know who he starts with? The elders. Look what he says. To the elders among you, whether you're in this church that Peter's writing or in Greenville, Illinois, or if you're listening on the internet, be careful if you're an elder. I appeal as a fellow elder and the witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. That's that great image of a shepherd that is under your care, watching over them. This is that overseer's concept. Not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording over those who entrusted to you, but but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's talking about Jesus, when he, comes, when he returns, here's what's cool. 
you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. If you're an elder, if you've ever been an elder, if you ever desire to be an elder, know that your greatest uh, desire, uh, your greatest goal is to, to be an example that would lead people to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And when he returns, you're going to receive uh, a crown of glory that will never fade away. You could be a king on earth. You could be president. You, you, could, you could be a prestigious uh, CEO of a company. There will be a day where that's gone. But when you are a leader for Christ and you serve others well and point to Jesus, that reward is eternal. So I want to say, keep it up, elders. But it's not just the elders that he talks to. The very next verse says this, in the same way. You who are younger, this means if you're younger spiritually, if you're younger in age, if you are a brand new Christian, if you're thinking about following Christ, if you are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And here's what's understood. They're submitting to Christ. All of you, clothe yourself with what? Humility towards one another because, listen to this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. What a great promise. Whether you're an elder or you are a brand new Christian, God is asking you to clothe yourself with humility and you're going to be lifted up. He's basically saying, be willing to follow the example of Jesus who sacrificed everything. Be willing to follow the example of of great leaders before you. The God on the knees said, said, I am serving you as I serve others and he will lift you up. But you know who God opposes? is a person that thinks, uh, I know what's best for me and for others, and I'm going to make sure I manage what I have uh, to the best of my ability, and I'm going to make these decisions. And God says, no. Because our world is full of those type of people. Uh, one of the things in Quest 52 that really struck me, that, that really uh, uh, gave me encouragement, but also a great challenge, so much of the world has been blessed with many things, and many of those blessings are in the United States of America both with the gospel and just the good things of the world, food and resources. And it seems like we're the the favored people. It seems like the wealthy are favored. But what happens then if the wealthy uh, hold it in for themselves and, and don't share the gospel, don't share the good things of the world, there's an injustice that happens. And poor are left hungry. Uh, people that are spiritually poor are left without the good news. And what Mark Moore highlights in the book is that there is not a limitation problem on God's blessings. There's a a distribution problem. And what that means is those who have been given much, much will be expected of them to share. Well, what he's saying is there's plenty in the world based on the goodness of God and the good news that everyone be favored. But we've got work to do. I wonder what you're going to do to share that good news, to to be a blessing to the hungry, to help clothe those that that need clothes, to to be an encouragement to those that are down. And who God is going to favor is those who are gracious to others. Guys, I, I believe we have a great time of favor upon us, but we need to look more and more like Jesus. How are you going to clothe yourself? I I pray you look like him, follow his example, because he is our chief shepherd. I've asked Ben to come and share a song. It's a Christmas song. You may have never heard it, though, before. It asks the question, how many kings would do this for us? It wasn't Herod the Great. It wasn't King Herod. It wasn't a Roman emperor. But but the king from heaven came down to bless us, to favor all of us who would receive him. Today, we're going to stay seated as we reflect on this song. 
if you know today is the day that you're to receive that favor from Jesus and be saved, talk to one of us. I'm going to be sitting here. Uh, D is going to be in the room. You saw the elders. Maybe it's a friend that brought you and you know they're a follower. Say, I, I want to have the favor of salvation through Jesus. What's my next step? We'd love to talk to you. Maybe you're an elder or have been in the past. You're like, I've got a pride problem and I don't like it anymore. The word has revealed to me that I need to repent and, and submit and get on my knees and say, God, I submit to you. Whatever decision you have, whether it's a first-time decision or you're a long-time believer and you need to change, come before Jesus. Father in heaven, help us to focus on Jesus and put on the, the clothes that he wore so well, that humility, that, that forgiveness, that compassion, patience. Father, change us to be like him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.